Good morning, good morning. Hello, Bright City. How y'all doing? Um, Good morning. Hey, I'm Jess, and I am thrilled to be an owner here at Bright City. I'm going to pray for us, and then we are going to just take off running. Does that sound good? Okay. Father, thank you for being here. Thank you for for preparing a place for us. Thank you for preparing our hearts. We just want to acknowledge this next hour is yours anyhow. But we want to give back to you what you've given to us. We want to give you our attention and our time We want to give you space to move in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be gentle and complete, that you would get the work done that needs to be done in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I want to jump in right here. So who was here last week for the Way of the Bright Sermon on community and hospitality? Anybody hear that one? It was an incredible sermon, game changer. If you haven't listened to it, we're going to tell you how to listen to it in just a minute. But during that sermon last week, Pastor Nick preached, and he um, threw a, a line in from our story that I want to unpack for you a little bit. He said, Jess decorated her way out of depression. Um, anybody remember him saying that? Yeah, it's like a simple story, so I'm gonna, I'll catch you up. If you weren't here, um, the, the short of the backstory is that Nick and I went through a really hard season in our family a handful of years ago. We were struggling in a lot of different ways. We were financially just really struggling. Um, we were spiritually struggling. We had been in just a really hard spiritual season and um, had moved around a ton and had really experienced a lot of personal failure um, as, in regards to ministry and things like that. And so we were, we were busted spiritually and emotionally. Mentally, I was struggling. I was struggling with just extreme postpartum depression um, that had been multiplied over multiple pregnancies. And so um, just my mind was really struggling. My body was really struggling. But we were also really struggling um, physically. We had a lot of sicknesses and ailments in our family that were not small, but really catastrophic. And we were in just like the worst of the worst season that you could imagine. But in the middle of that, God started to rescue us. And he gave us this free place to live. And I say it was God through a human, but it really felt like rescue. Um, But the the place was so gross that we called it a fishing shack because that made us feel better about it. Like it wasn't quite a house and it wasn't quite like a duplex. You wouldn't call it any of those things. But we were like, it's a fishing shack. And that made it feel like fun and campy, you know. Um, just FYI, I hate camping. So that wasn't like my best life now. Um, but you don't care when, you're, when God's rescuing you, you know. My mom gave us a bunch of couches, and I remember being like, these couches are beautiful. Like, you don't care when you actually have somewhere to sit. And before that, we didn't have somewhere to sit. And um, I have a friend who tells me, she used to come over to my house during that time, the fishing shack, and she tells me now that when she would leave, it was so depressing she would cry. Because it was just, it was a really not cute place to live. And and not that cute matters. It was just a, a barren season, and our... Our house, our living place matched the barrenness that we were struggling with. But in the middle of that season, um, God flipped something onto my heart. 
And he helped me just kind of wake up to life and wake up to starting to fight spiritually. And so the walls of the fishing shack were cinder blocks, so I couldn't hang art or anything like that, and we didn't have money to hang art. So I started with post-it notes. Um, And the, the first verse that I started with was Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I put a bunch of post-it notes with Romans 8, Romans 8, that verse in the bathroom because I would take a shower and my and that was like my one time to think. So we had all these little kids and my mind would just be filled with condemning thoughts. And I'd get out of the shower and I'd say Romans 8 and I'd say there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then the post-it notes started to expand. And I moved on to 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen people, a royal nation, a people brought out of darkness and into light. And then I went on to Isaiah 61. And then I started with Psalm 46.5. And then the post-it notes started to turn into whole pieces of paper because there was so much scripture. So I was just putting it on the whole pieces of paper and duct taping it on the center block walls. And then I was like, well, you know what? Nick has a computer. Maybe I'll use his computer and I'll go in PowerPoint and I'll start making these into pretty little designs. Um, and so I started doing that and still duct taping them on the walls because it's cinder block. So um, there was no way to frame them. But a friend came over to my house and she saw all these pieces of art hung up on the walls that I had made in PowerPoint. And she said, you should sell those. And I was like, well, nobody's going to want these. Like, I didn't even know what to call them. I was like, I don't, nobody's going to want these pieces of paper. She was like, just try it. You should just try it. You should sell them. So I, I made a shop on Etsy. And um, through that, that turned into a small business that God used to pull our family out of financial just breakdown into breakthrough. But also then that small business went on to hire just multiple employees over a nine-year span of time. We got to fund many church plants, including this one, one in Pakistan, one in the Netherlands. Like God just did incredible things through that small business. Me, who I didn't feel creative at all, had ne- would have never called myself an artist ever or a small business owner. All of a sudden, he used that business to just like drag me out of a really dark and desperate time. But there are some things about it that, I, that I've thought back, because I want to explain, it wasn't just that I decorated myself out of depression, but a few things happened as I began to connect with the creativity that God had given me. And here are just a few things I captured. Number one, um, accessing the creativity God had given me challenged the belief that the world was better off without me. So the number one issue that I fought in depression was the idea that everybody would be better off without me. I thought my family would be better off without me. I thought, I just thought everything would work better if I wasn't there. And all of a sudden, accessing this creativity, I realized like, not only is my family better when I'm here and I'm speaking life and truth, but now when I'm sending these prints out all over the world, like other people's lives are better. And so God just woke something up and healed something in me through that. Number two, it helped me experience and expect restoration. So seeing God's word, but then pairing it with creativity made me excited and expectant for everything else God was doing around me. I thought if he can heal me, if he can change me, if he can put life all over the walls of this fishing shack and bring life back to this dead heart and this dead soul, he can do anything. He can change anything. It made me expectant. And it also just made me wildly hopeful about the future. And so 
in a season where I would have never called myself creative. And I don't know that anyone else would have called me creative. God used creativity to not just bring us back to life spiritually, but to change the course of our life. And I think probably the course of this church for sure. So today, we're going to be talking about creativity as our last point in the Way of the Bright, and I wanted y'all to hear that up front. But first, let's read the, the Way of the Bright manifesto for the whole series. The Way of the Bright is a sacred commitment we make together to order our lives in a way that allows us to encounter God and shine in our culture. It's a sacred commitment we make together to order our lives in a way that allows us to encounter God and shine in our culture. Let's look at a few of the things that we've already talked about in the way of the bright. So we've talked about words. We talked about speaking life and how what we say to one another and say about ourselves and say about God matters. We've talked about our time and using a purposeful inner urgency for the kingdom. We've talked about rest and practicing the sovereignty of God and generosity and shining through giving in our city and in our culture. We talked about power and vulnerability, acknowledging our weaknesses and the power of God that lives inside of us. We talked about hospitality and community, partnering with people in invitation and connection to mirror the heart of God. And we talked about now creativity. And that's what we're going to talk about. But here's the thing. I had to just write down some words that I'm just going to read to you guys. Um, I, don't, I don't typically do this. Usually I get up here with like two sentences and just go for it. But this felt so important. God asked me to just write down some things and read to you. And here's what I want to say. When we talk about words and time and rest and generosity and power and weakness and community and hospitality, there is the potential for us to receive all of that teaching. If you've been here for every sermon... Even if you listen to them later, there's a potential for us to receive all of that teaching and pattern a really healthy lives for ourselves. One that helps us see God, one that helps us acknowledge him. But there's something I want us to acknowledge before we move into creativity, and here's what it is. God is not sterile or safe. He cannot be contained. It's important that we know as we're learning about the way of the bright that God is not the sensible choice. He doesn't want us to live a tidy or a boring life. He created us intentionally, extravagantly to give himself glory. He uses creativity and creation to make himself more visible on this earth. While all these rhythms help us live with intention, they're not supposed to choke out the life or the color or the creativity of God. Rather, all of those rhythms are meant to ignite it. God is glorious. He is colorful. He is beautiful. He does not hold back, and he hasn't asked you to hold back either. God isn't a minimalist. If he was trying to do the least, to see the least, or to have the least, he wouldn't have made us, recreated us, and he wouldn't be using us to restore his kingdom. If he was a minimalist, he wouldn't have made the Grand Canyon, or anteaters, or plants that come alive and eat other bugs. I mean, that's just nuts. Um, if he only wanted us to be solemn and simple, he wouldn't have created color. Jesus wouldn't smile and have personality. And the Holy Spirit wouldn't give us new songs. God is wildly creative. And we're made in his image. And that matters a lot. 
And what we believe about God and his character and his power and his color and his creativity and his life and how we bring that into all of the other ways of the bright that we live is wildly, wildly, wildly important. So now let's read this week's manifesto and you guys can read it with me if you can see it. I believe God uses creativity to leave the world more in awe of himself and I am made in his image. Therefore, I will partner with him to mirror the majesty of heaven, cultivate a better humanity, and increase expectation for eternity. I will partner with him to mirror the majesty of heaven, to cultivate a better humanity, and to increase expectation of eternity. Before we dig into how God uses creativity in the word, I want to just tell you the three things that we're warring against when we partner with him in creativity. The first thing that we're warring with is doubt. Has anyone ever doubted that God's real? I do. I do. I'm a doubt girl. I'm just going to give it to you honest. Like, I've got, a, I've got a routine of verses and memories that I work through in my head when I start thinking we made this whole thing up. I go to a certain set of verses and I go to a certain set of people who always remind me that God is real just by the way that they live. But another crazy cool thing that we get to do when we experience doubt is just open our eyes and look and see what he's made. Have have any of y'all been to the Grand Canyon? I haven't. You have. I have a feeling that once I go, I'm really never going to doubt that God's real again. You know what I'm saying? Like, that doesn't just happen. The ocean doesn't just rise up and stop at a certain place on its own. I I, I think it takes a lot more faith to believe that it all just kind of happened by accident and that animals developed over time and plants were just beautiful by accident. I have a hard time believing in that, harder than I do than the, the idea that someone made it intentionally, creatively, as a gift to us. So number one, when we think about God's creativity, his power, his awe, his glory displayed on earth, not just in the creation of the earth, but also in the creation of us as humans, it combats any doubt that we have that he's real. Number two, we are fighting against defeat when we partner with creativity. And, I, and what I mean by defeat is the idea that it's always going to be this way. Whatever it is for you, it's always going to be this way. Creativity says, like, Mm-mm. things are being made new. Things are being restored. Things are coming back to life. Things will shift. Things will grow. He is the hero, but he's using us as humans to be a part of his rescue plan, to restore, to renew. And it's good. Also, we're warring against consumerism. Our culture says that life is about getting and creativity and the way of the kingdom says that life for us as believers in God is about cultivating a better humanity that mirrors and reflects the glory of God and brings more people with us into eternity. So those are the three three things we're warring against, doubt, defeat, and consumerism. So Now what we're going to do is we're going to look at how God utilizes creativity in a few different places in the Bible. And I want you to prepare your hearts because we're going literally Genesis to Revelation. We're going the first page to the very last page, but we're going to skip a lot in between, okay? 
Does that sound good? If you've got your Bible, you can turn to Genesis 1, or if you've got it on your phone, we're not going to have some of this up here, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just skip over the highlights. Now, Nick always jokes with us and tells us, we've all read this because we all read it the first day of our reading plan at the beginning of the year. So my Genesis 1 is just highlighted up. Like, I've just read it a bunch. I have a hard time, like, once we get to Leviticus, but... Genesis 1 I've read just a handful of times. I'm going to skip around, but I want to start right here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I don't know about y'all, but I do not believe this is an allegory. I believe this is a historical account. I think there was nothing, and then God spoke. And I think that when we doubt the power of the Holy Spirit, his very good and perfect doctrine says the Spirit was right there all along, hovering over the waters. Now, people always talk about what questions they're going to ask when they get to heaven, like, tell me about blah, 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 and why did this happen? I'm going to tell you the first thing I'm going to say. I would like to see the replay of Genesis 1, please. On like a heaven-sized screen, please. Thank you. I want to see this. There was nothing, and then there was a spark, and there was something. And the Spirit hovered over the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day, and the darkness he called night. Then it says, God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So he made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. This is crazy. If you read Genesis 1 and then the story of Noah later on, what you realize, this is crazy. This is crazy. But people think that like there was water hovering over the earth. And we find out, did y'all know in Noah's Ark, it had never rained before? So when we, that's crazy. That's real. That's in the Bible. When you picture it, you got to picture like there's water just up there. That's nuts. I don't know if they could see it. I hope they couldn't. That's terrifying. (laughs) Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. The land produced vegetation, plants, Bearing seeds according to their kinds. It it did what he said it would do. And then he said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night, to serve as signs. He's not only creative and wild and wonderful, he's also really just wise and smart and has a good plan so that we know when it's day and when it's night. Almost every night when we get in bed, I say the same thing to Nick. It's not like, I love you, honey, or I'm praying for you. What do I say almost every night? I don't know if you remember. I'm so glad God made sleep. That's what I say almost every night. I'm so glad God made sleep. Can you imagine if he had just skipped this day of creation and he hadn't made night? He hadn't made like the sun to come up and to go down? Like he made made a way for us to rest every day to just turn it off. Later on, verse 20 says, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds. And every winged bird, it goes on and on and on. He's super, super, super creative. And I think it genuinely happened. But I want to skip now to a verse in Genesis 2. 
And here's what it says, Genesis 2:15. This is after God has made man. We won't even get into the craziness of that, but it says the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care for it, take care of it. So here's something that has stood out to me so much in preparing for this message that I can't get over, that some of us forget. Genesis 2.15, this is before the fall. This is before sin entered into Adam and Eve's relationships. This is when things were still perfect. So in God's perfect plan, there was still work and cultivation. When we picture, I don't know about you guys, when we picture Eden, I, I used to picture like Adam and Eve like being fed grapes by birds or something. That wasn't what we find. Actually, we find that there were raw materials that they had here. I'm going to read it. This is what it says. Now the Lord God planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the, to the Eve and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the, were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. It goes on to talk about this incredible river, but then it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. In the garden, in God's perfect plan, there was cultivation. And those two words in verse 15, uh, there's two Greek words right there. And I skipped them. Let me tell you what they mean. They, they're shamar and abad. They mean to, um, to I'm sorry, can we, there we go, to work it and to take care of it. They almost mean the exact same thing, but they essentially mean to cultivate and protect. So right there in the Garden of Eden from the very beginning, there was not only God's creativity, there was not only his creation and his awe and his glory made into putting these things, but there were raw materials, there was stuff for the humans to do, to cultivate, to make, to protect, to grow, to put their hands to. And we know that God loved the humans that he made so much. So did he do it because he needed the stuff done? Did he do it because he wanted the fruit the, the fruit harvested and he needed workers? No, he did it because he knew it was good for them. It was good for them to get to cultivate something, to grow something, to partner with him in it. It was good for them. And so when we are combating this issue of doubt, not only do we get to look at creation and be in awe of what God's done and what he's built, but I want to stop here and I want to say what I'm specifically saying is I think we get to be in awe of the creativity and the power to cultivate that he's placed in each one of us. I believe that when we see each other using our gifts that we've been given, it convinces us even more so that God is real. Here's what this looks like for me. You guys can think about your own examples. Um, Nick and I do one thing pretty often, and that's um, when we go on date nights, we start our date night at anthropology, almost every single date night. Um, anybody like anthropology, gals, men, you ever sat on that couch for a bit? Yeah. Um, the reason why we do that is not to shop. We try very hard not to buy things. Um, but the reason why is because their store displays are so beautiful that when we've lived a long week, like taking care of our kids, and we have like, you know, kid food on us, and we're tired from work, and we're trying to remember who we are, remember who God made us to be, to step into a place that is so beautifully cultivated with creativity just reminds us like, okay, we're alive. We're awake. We're alive. We're awake. We've been given gifts. 
It's not always going to be this way. There's beauty here, and we get to cultivate it. When we step into anthropology, almost every single time Nick says, like, I can't believe God made people like this. can't believe God just gives ideas like this. Turn a bunch of toilet paper holders into a tree in the middle of the store. Like, who can do that? God. He gives those ideas to people. Um, here's another time this happens for me. When I see people use spreadsheets, genius. I'm like, God is real. When I see some of y'all work your spreadsheets, raise your hand if you're, if you're an Excel wizard. Yep, yep, that's what I'm talking about. Y'all know the forms and the functions, and you can make A and D, like divide and multiply over onto F. And it's I'm like, when I see someone use their creative gifts in that way to help other people spend less money or make more money or do whatever you do, I'm like, God is real. He is real. Songwriting. If you were here last week, you heard the new song that some of our worship leaders wrote. They're going to sing it again today. When I heard them sing it for the first time last week, I told y'all, I threw a shoe at one of them because I was so mad because I thought nobody should be that gifted. I didn't do it on Sunday morning. I did it a few days before the first time I heard it. But I, I just watched them write this song in like 15 minutes. And I thought people shouldn't be able to do that. That's so stinking creative. God is so good. It's so wild. People get to do that. Also writing fiction. Anybody write fiction in here? I mean, come on. You just make up stories. You just make up people out of thin air. That is only God. But there's a million other things. Doctors, nurses, you've been given the ability to creatively problem solve and save people's lives with your hands and your minds. That's crazy. That's nuts. That leaves me in awe of God, not just that he made the Grand Canyon and not just that he made the ocean, but that he made you. And he put you here to help us with the spreadsheets and the IVs and the coffee who made that one up? I want to just kiss him. <laughs> Our job is to mirror the glory of God by accessing the creativity and the gifts that he's given us. So the one question I want to ask you about this point is, what natural resources have you been given to cultivate creation and leave people more in awe of God? What gifts have you been given, you specifically, not the general you, what gifts have you been given? I know they're there, and I'm willing to bet there's a bunch of them. And I believe you were given them intentionally to mirror God, to leave people more in awe of them, and to cultivate humanity. So here's what we're going to do now is we're going to skip all the way to literally the last page in the Bible, um, or the last couple of pages in the Bible, um, and we're going to skip to Revelation. And what's crazy about starting in Eden and ending in Revelation is that you're going to see a few things that are the same. You're going to see a tree of life. You're going to see a river, and you're going to see God giving people a place to inhabit and to cultivate. Let's read Genesis 22 together. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing down from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. Let it be God. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will 
will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. There will not need the night of the light of the lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Here's what God told me when I was reading this passage this week. This is a personal conviction for me, but I'm handing it to you in case you share it. This week, God said, hey, you, you talk a lot about the enemy, and you don't think about heaven enough. You talk a lot about, like, pain, and you don't think enough about heaven. I don't know. You might not share that conviction, but I realize, like, I think very little about where we're all headed. But the reason why this is so important is not just because we still see God's creativity on display in the future, in eternity waiting for us, but because it changes what we believe about God. Defeat and death in this world says it's always going to be this way. The word of God says, I'm preparing a place for you and it's good. It's really, really, really good. Defeat says everything is breaking and deteriorating, but the word of God says redemption is coming. And you don't just have to sit there and wait. You can work now and cultivate a better humanity so you can bring more people with you. The creativity and the glory of God, the intention of God we see displayed in eternity can can create wild anticipation and expectation that will help us fight defeat and discouragement on earth. There's four things I want us to notice about the future paradise in Revelation 22. First of all, in verse 2, if we can go back to that first slide, it says, On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit in every month. Okay, pause here. I don't know about you guys, but I used to think that Eden was Adam and Eve getting fed grapes by the monkeys. And a lot of us think that heaven is us sitting around playing harps, which sounds super boring. But there's still cultivation and work and productivity in Eden and in eternity. There's still crops to harvest. There's still stuff to do. And again, it's not because God needs us to do it. It's because he knows that we feel most at ease and worshipful when we are using what we've been given. Heaven is not a lot of sitting. I mean, I don't know. I really don't know what it's like. But it looks like there's some stuff to do. And not because we have to. And not because we're getting any better. And not because we need to get any closer to him, and not because he needs us, but because we were created to cultivate. We were created to partner with him in that way. Number two, I want to look at two different verses. Something God's been just massively showing me recently is um, that I used to think of heaven as very feathery and ethereal and see-through. Anybody feel that way about heaven? Like it kind of glitters and you could like poke it and it would float away and who knows where it goes. But there's two different verses I want us to look at. The first is, let's see, James. Yeah, there you go. James 4 says, why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What's your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and vanishes The next passage is in 1 Corinthians, and it says, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So here's the next thing I want us to hold to be true about heaven. Heaven is actually the real thing. This is the see-through thing. This is the vapor. This is the mist. This feels real, 
But eternity is going to feel so real and so good that this is going to feel like nothing. Remember, I can't really remember. I can't really remember when there was pain. All I know now is praise. I can't really remember when there was toil. All I know now is glory. This feels so real, but this is the least real thing compared to eternity. Here's something else about heaven. Let's go to Revelation 21. This is getting crazy. Okay. This is one chapter back, and this is when they're describing what heaven's going to be like. The angel, let's jump. The angel, you guys don't have to jump, I'll jump. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He, made, he measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, and as wide and as high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. I did some measurements for you guys in case you wanted to know. A stadia is 607 feet. That's 1,379 miles. That's from here to the very bottom of Canada. And then if you go over at 1,379 miles, you hit Minnesota. So that's what they're saying that the city of God is like. It's like from here to Canada and then all the way over and then back down because it's as high as it is wide. But it's also that deep. What? What? I what? I'm sorry. Hold on. There are also walls. Um, the walls are 216 feet thick if you measure out what a cubit is, which I did for you guys so you don't have to. And that's three-fourths of a football field. So what I'm saying is there is wild intention in God's creative preparation for your future. There is wild extravagant. He is not a minimalist. Minimalists do not make 216 foot thick walls of gold. He is obsessed with you. He is obsessed with his glory. He's so excited about spending eternity with you. He is intentionally preparing a place very creatively. Here's one last thing. This is crazy. Just prepare your hearts. Again, there's so many similarities between the garden and the next garden, right? There's the Garden of Eden and there's the garden in the new heaven and the new earth in Revelation. But the garden does not stay a garden. What does it become? Let's flip back to Revelation 22. The foundation of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The garden does not stay a garden. The garden was supposed to become a city. The garden was meant to be cultivated. The garden was meant to be grown. So this matters for us right here at Bright City because God's given us some unique and very special gifts to work with. He's given us some materials to shift. But if we sat here and we said, like, we'll just keep it, we'll just hold it, we'll just keep it like it is, like this, and we'll hold it to ourselves ourselves, 
we would be missing the opportunity to do what we were created to do, which is to cultivate something. And so I'm speaking out of those of you who have ever said, like, I love Bright City because it's small. We're not here to get big. We're not here to create a megachurch. But we are here to use what we've been given to shine the light of Jesus, to help other people see the light of Jesus, and to be the light of Jesus, and to continually shine the light of Jesus. So that may mean, if we're doing it right, that we grow. The garden was not supposed to stay a garden. The garden was supposed to become a city. We are meant not just to come and consume and hide, but to cultivate what we've been given. Here's the last little passage of scripture that we're going to look at, and it's in Jeremiah 29. Before we read it, I'll tell you guys where we're at in scripture. So we're at the part in scripture where the, the people of God have been exiled. So God warned them it was going to happen, but some political battles took place, and the king of Babylon basically takes them, which again, the measurements are nuts, um, 1,700 miles away from their homeland. They're exiled. They're brought to another place. Um, And this is in 605 BC, and a number of people are taken captive first. And what's important and really, really, really important to notice, Jeremiah 29, you might think I'm going to Jeremiah 29, 11. We all love that passage. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Really important to know that Jeremiah was still in Jerusalem, and he was writing to those who had been exiled already, those who had already left. It wasn't a flowery, sweet time. It wasn't a college graduation. It was rough waters. It was wild time. It was people taken out of their homes and taken to a foreign land. But before we even get there, I want to tell you that what we find out in the first part of Jeremiah 29 is guess who they took first? The artists, the creatives. Those were the first, not the soldiers, not the strongest, not the mathematicians. They took the artists and the creatives first because they knew when you're cultivating something, when you're growing something, when you're taking hold of something, you need people who can cultivate So this is Jeremiah writing to the exiles, and here's what he says. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. When we partner with God in partaking his creativity and partner with him by utilizing our creativity, we wage war against consumption. Because like the exiles, we are in a land that is not our own. More, if by grace through faith you believe in Jesus, more than you are a citizen of America or Charleston, you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, and this world is not your home. So what do you do when you're in a place that feels foreign and you don't know what to do? God tells us we have a few options. Some Christians would say you get hide, you get fearful, and you hide. You just go in your house, and you keep safe, and you keep your kids, and you keep it close, and you keep it tidy because you don't want anybody to mess with you. Some people would say, you just just try to be like the people around you. Just try to fit in. Just try to keep it normal. Don't make a fuss. And God says, no. You don't hide. You don't respond in fear. 
but you don't become just like them. You use what you've been given, your gifts, your creativity, to cultivate even the place that you don't belong to. We, we teach our kids this, right? Leave it better than you found it. That's what God is asking us to do of Charleston. Leave it better than we found it. Leave it more in awe of God than we found it. Leave it more cultivated than we found it. We use what we've been given to cultivate. We stay motivated by the desire to experience eternity and to bring as many people with us. And we repent from this problem that we have of consumption, of just going into a place and taking what we can from it. So the question I want to ask ourselves right here about consumption and about consumer is, what areas of your life are you consuming instead of cultivating? What areas of your life are you consuming instead of cultivating? Where are you showing up expecting to be served, delighted, fed, and taken care of? If you don't know what that looks like, I'll tell you the number one symptom of being a consumer is you start critiquing. If you have spots in your life where you go in and you just critique and say, like, it could be better if they did this. I mean, why, don't they, why haven't they tried this? It's a good chance you're struggling with consumerism. Where in your life are you consuming and not actually cultivating? Church is always the obvious answer. We've got an epidemic in America of people just consuming, 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 and not adding to the cultivation. But in the name of Jesus, we are not going to let that be the story of Bright City. That is not already the story, and we're going to keep pushing against it as long and as hard and as fast as we can. We're going to keep coming here and using our gifts and not just critiquing one another and not just critiquing our leaders, but saying, like, what can I do? How can I help? How can I serve? But I believe there's places outside of our church where a lot of us struggle with consumerism. Some of us go into our jobs and say, like, how's it good for me? I'll put in as much as I can and then leave when I can and no big deal. Some of us are going into our homes and into our friendships and into our marriages saying, what's good for me? Who's going to serve me? Who's going to lead me? Who's going to feed me? Instead of walking into every room saying, how have I been created? to creatively make this better, to leave everyone I experience more in awe of God than I found them? How have I been given certain specific gifts to serve and to love? And guess what? We might as well go ahead and find the joy and abundance in it now because we're going to be doing it for a long time. This is what we were made to do. And we win when we just realize that. I'm going to give you a few steps of obedience and then one, two steps of abundance and then we're going to run. Number one, identify where you're consuming and repent. What does it mean to repent? It means to tell God you're sorry. Just say, I'm sorry, please help me not do that anymore. Where are you consuming instead of cultivating? Tell God you're sorry. Again, look for where you're critical. It's probably an area where you're consuming and not cultivating. Number two, identify your version of creativity and use it daily. This is a step of obedience. Find that thing that he's given you. There's probably a bunch of them, but find one and do it every single day. Use your gifts because you get to. Number three, call out the gifts of creativity in other people and speak life to them. As we grow, as we move Bright City, people are going to start using their gifts. Some of you are going to start leading. Some of you are going to start new ministries. Some of you are going to do things here. And you better believe that we are going to be people that watch as people use their gifts and said, that's good. Keep going. Do it again. 
Try it again. We're not going to critique people. We're not going to be hard on them. We're going to give them space to grow and to learn. And as we move outside of this building and we start doing it more in culture, we're going to do the exact same thing. I'm proud of you. Keep going. That was good. Let's try again. This is what we are made to do. Here's your steps of abundance. Number one, find an organization outside of our church that is increasing the beauty of our city and see if you can plug in there. I'll tell you my really simple one that I've started doing. It's really simple, don't judge me. Um, I started going to the same place for exercise and I see that even though they're not a church and even though we don't share the same beliefs about God, they are really genuinely trying to make the city better and so I'm trying to spur them on in that and invest in them there and bless them there and plug in and be a part and be a part of that family there just because I get to, and just because I can walk in and not just consume and not just say like, that was good to work out for me or that wasn't hard, but like, how are they doing? What's happening here? How can I shift it? How can I help? Number two, another step of abundance, if you are ready to really take this thing too far, is help us here because we really need it. If you didn't know Bright City, we really need your help. We could really use your help, the gifts that you've been specifically given to cultivate what God's doing here and to bring more people in to see it. There are a million different ways you can plug in, and I really mean that. There's probably two million. Um, But if you want to really take this idea of cultivating what you've been given too far, we could use your help here at Bright City. Okay, you guys are really patient. I'm going to end now. But first, I'm going to tell you a story. Um. That season where I decorated my way out of depression the way Nick said it, which I love, um, something happened in that season, and that was that we got pregnant with another baby. And we had no business getting pregnant, like from the world standards. We had no money. We were really busted. We were really tired. We had very little resources. But we got pregnant with a fourth baby, and we were so excited. And I had this pastor's wife at the time who had a really nice house. She actually had like a home blog. She had like a really nice house and she blogged about how nice her house was. And she came over to the fishing shack for the first time ever. Um, She had never been to the fishing shack and it was when I I just found out I was pregnant. So she came in and I forgot that it was so gross and nasty and I forgot that people were turned off by it. Um, So I wasn't expecting her to get so like appalled, but she was appalled. She was like, oh gosh, this is a shack. I was like, yeah, it's great, it's fine. And so then while she was there, I was like, and guess what? We're having another baby. Um, And she was like, okay, okay. And I could just see her face fall. Um, And she didn't know what to make of it. And so um, she was really good at at gardening and planting. And so I had asked her if she would come look at my my garden beds and help me grow some things at the fishing shack. Because, you know, I was just trying to cultivate what we'd been given. And so we went outside to this area in front of our house, this garden bed in front of our house, and we were standing over it, and I, I looked at her and I was like, so what do you think I can, what do you think I can put here? Like what, what kind of plants, what kind of flowers? And she looked at me and she said, nothing. Nothing's gonna grow here. This is dead. She was like, this is like sandy, it's, there's no sun, nothing will grow here. And I promise you, like I'll never forget that day for anything, because what happened then is she just walked to her car. She just like, she just kind of like walked off bewildered. And she didn't have to say out loud. I knew what she thought. Like, you have no business having another baby. Your, your life's a mess. This is a nasty shack. I, I knew what she was thinking. 
few nights later, I went to sleep um, and had this dream. It was crazy. And in my dream, she was there, and I walked her out to the garden bed, and we were standing over it, um, and we were looking down at it, and I, in the dream, saw one little, like, tiny green leaf pop up through the dirt. And then that leaf, like, multiplied, and it multiplied, and it multiplied, and then soon a little flower popped up, and then, like, a vine started spilling over the garden bed, and suddenly there were just, like, vines and flowers and all these things in my dream coming out of the planter, and they spread over our feet, and they went behind us, and it was just flowers everywhere, just vines and green and beautiful colors all in my dream. And it was so beautiful. And I looked at her and I said, things grow here. Things grow here. And I knew. Um, I, I woke up the next morning. And the next morning I woke up. This is wild and only God. But I, I, I knew in my heart we were going to lose that baby. Um, God just kind of like gave me a conviction. I was going that day for my ultrasound. And I knew um, I was, we were going to see the baby. We had lost the baby. And so um, that's never happened before that he's been so clear with me. But I knew like we're going to lose the baby. And I also knew, but things grow here. Like this is not a dead zone. This is wildly fruitful. And from that incredibly broken season, from a two-bedroom fishing shack with concrete walls, God brought healing and revival and hope. God did things in our family that I pray our kids are talking about for generations to come. God planted this church from really the inside of that fishing shack. He, he didn't just keep us alive. He helped us to thrive, and he gave us purpose and calling and mission. And it didn't matter how dead it looked. Like, things were growing there. And so this week, I, I have a new practice where I'm trying to spend some time in this room alone every week. And so this week, I was in here just praying about this sermon, and I just closed my eyes, and I could, I could see it the same, y'all. I could see the, the plants and the green and the flowers just spreading out, out of, the, out of this building, over the sidewalk, into the streets, up into the neighbors' houses, across King Street, down Rutledge, down to South Abroad, over the West Ashley Brig, Bridge, over into Mount Pleasant, over into North Charleston, not because of us, but because this is what he does. Things are growing here. Life is being cultivated. Color is coming alive. And we get to be a part of it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for doing all the hard work. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for placing us here. Thank you for making this world and leaving us in awe of you. Thank you for bringing just sprouts and fruit of new life. And in the name of Jesus, we pray that we would just only continue to see more. New growth, new color, new life coming out of every heart and every life and every home and every family that inhabits this place. Would you help us just to 
mirror how awesome and incredible and glorious you are and would you help us to be excited to cultivate humanity in a way that leaves many more people in awe of you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. That was really great. Um, so as I'm sitting there, like reflecting, like how do I respond to that? Uh, I have this like ur- like this urge to like come up here and perform and to like say the right thing, and I think it's really funny because God is. I'm just really uncomfortable right now. Uh, but I feel like that the Lord definitely put something on my heart, and I don't even like have the full thing fleshed out. But this is what I was thinking, like. Jess Connolly in this church is super creative. Like when I think of color, when I think of life, when I think of cultivation, like I I agree, like this is it. And I think it's either like hope or it's hype. And that's like an expression I've learned and, and, and understand. So what I've learned is like hope and hype, they look the exact same. It's, it's somebody who believes something and they're jumping up and down and they're, they believe it. Like, but the difference is uh, with hope is there's substance underneath. And so I think like that's where I like I am struggling with the doubt. It's like I want to be the guy that believes in heaven and this this hope so much that I jump up and down and I say I don't know what my natural resources are, but like I want to give it to you and I want to be uncomfortable and I want to figure out what that looks like to give that to you, God. Um, but is it just hype because it feels really comfortable to stay seating, like to stay seated and. <laughs> to doubt uh and so like here's the truth and it's where we started like we're made in the image of god god is creative we're made in the image of god he loves people well like we're made in the image of god he did some work we're made in the image of god he rested we're made in the image of god i don't know what you walked in here with this morning and what your limiting belief is or whatever you're struggling with, but you're made in the image of God and there's something more because of that. Um, And so uh, what I love about this moment is we're gonna take some time uh, to respond to what what we just heard. And we do that in a few ways. Uh, One is just through worship. Uh, And sometimes like breakthrough comes in the biggest ways through worship. Um, Actually, I'm supposed to say, hey, if you've got kids in Bright City, feel free to go get those kids now. It's a new thing, give me some grace. but we love to worship. Like that's just, it's just surrender, putting my hands up and singing and saying like, yes, I agree with you, Lord. Um, We have communion. We do communion in the back. uh, And this is just a way to take a moment and remember um, that Jesus gave his body for us and his blood for us. Um, We do that through being generous and just trusting that even though I'm scared and I don't believe that I have enough, it's being generous uh, with with our money, with our time, with our gifts. Um, And the last thing, do prayer. Uh, We have some people in the back who would love to just pray for you for what next steps you might be thinking through. Um, But ultimately, this is just your time to listen to what God's saying and to align your heart with him. So let's take a few minutes to do that.